0: Because what many people totally don't know, they always think that China is a state of suppression. People are forced to do whatever they should do. People are suppressed and have to follow everything. Not really. In China, you have a sort of invisible contract. And the contract is like
1: this. People often reject to believe what they don't understand or what scares them. With Dragonfolio China, you have the unique chance to truly understand a frequently misconceived country and an inevitable shift in the 21st century. Just lean back and enjoy a fascinating journey through China that will astonish and reward you.
0: How guys and welcome to another episode of the Dragonfolio China podcast. My name is Eric and today we are gonna talk about the largest city in China at least population-wise. I will talk and discuss the current situation in Shanghai but not only this I will go way beyond that and tell you my own experience because Shanghai is a very special city for me and I want to explain why and why i think that shanghai is a very unique place on earth well that's my last episode from bangkok i can already announce that after six months i'm going to leave bangkok very soon my next destination um i will tell you at the end of the episode so stay tuned if you're curious about that it's worth listening anyways and I have to admit that there are a lot of things on my mind these days. There's a lot happening around the world. Obviously, a lot of yeah, very um, interesting but also partly horrifying events around the world. Everyone seems to be involved, including China, including America, including the East. I mean, mainly Russia and all other former Soviet states and of course Europe. So it's a bit messy. And obviously, there's one thing that is an additional oil in the pan, and that is the current lockdown in Shanghai, which is not an easy situation for sure. But as always, it also leads to a lot of misconception, misinformation. And this is why I think I have to talk about Shanghai and also seize the opportunity to talk about this great. City, I think it's really um, an amazing place and I hope actually everyone has the chance to visit it once in his lifetime For me, Shanghai will always be a special place, that's for sure It's actually the first city or the first place that I ever visited in China That was in 2017, 2016 I'm not sure actually about the precise year to be honest I think 2016 The Reason that most foreigners go there first is probably that it is, well, one of the most accessible cities. And at the same time, it is the most international, I think, until today. On top of that, it's at the same time the city that I visited most frequently. So I have been to China six times in total. And I've been to Shanghai five times already. And that's not only because I was just arriving there there are a few more reasons and i think it's fair to say that without shanghai i would probably not be in my current role and i would probably not doing even this podcast so yeah i will tell you a bit later why first let's catch up a bit on the situation there Um, you're probably aware that there's a huge lockdown you can probably say the largest lockdown in history ever undertaken what happened is that the COVID cases really sparked in Shanghai, and then the authorities decided to more or less lock down the city completely. They did this in two parts. First of all, Pudong, which is the east part with, um, I think, around 10 million people. But it's actually economically definitely not less important than the other part, because Pudong is where you have the airport the seaport, which is the largest harbor in the world, and a lot of industrial complexes as well. A lot of factories and trading and so on. So it's definitely an economic center of the world. And then in a second stage, they plan to lock down Poo which is the western part. So they're separated by the, by the Poo River. And this is actually where most people live, around 16 million people. And where most, let's say, cultural heritage sites and residential areas are actually located. The idea was to kind of not copy exactly, but to implement a similar model to Shenzhen, which worked quite well some weeks ago. So in Shenzhen, they always said, hey, let's do a very harsh lockdown. Let's do it quick and intense and then Everything is fine. In Shenzhen it worked quite well, actually. That's what, of course, did not get too much attention in Western media. But it was actually quite quite a success, you can say. And Shenzhen returned more or less to normal. But in Shanghai, that was not exactly the case. And of course, we hear about that. Because from a lot of perspectives, Shanghai is the most important city in China economically. Especially in regards... To trade and so there's a bigger impact on us and of course there's also the, the issue that apparently the lockdown in Shanghai was a bit underestimated and that led to a lot of problems and that is what we see right now and what we hear about. For me the irritating thing is that there's so much attention paid to these failures in Shanghai. People are were really contacting me within the last days and said, Eric, look at this. And they sent me some picture or some video and said, what's going on in Shanghai? Or is is Shanghai basically going down? What is happening? Is it, the, I don't know, the end of uh, the Chinese empire or something? Or what are the consequences? And they were like, so they, they seem scared. And they were, I don't know, it's, I think it's a mixture of, of fear and also of uh, being shocked and, and, um, yeah, not n- knowing what's going on. And they feel like that this might have huge impacts on, on themselves, on the economy and on China. And, and of course, there's also this narrative again. I told you, totalitarian state leads to nothing. And for me, it's interesting to, to see that again because it means that, well, of course, I understand. This typical phenomenon that good news never travel, negative news is what sells, all right? We, we heard about this before, but that actually in such a complex undertaking, like a lockdown of 26 million people, you have to understand that 26 million people, that of course there are tensions, of course there are going to be some issues. And now you see that there are a few instances, probably a lot of instances, if you take the absolute amount, and people try to basically derive from that that the whole city or country is in huge trouble. Admittedly, I also believe that the authorities in Shanghai underestimated the real impact of the lockdown and that's because I think that the real extent of COVID cases was much bigger than they thought earlier. So it was not really anticipated. And of course, you have a lot of problems like with migrant workers who don't have, you know, the same uh, possibilities as some locals. And then you also have the problem that, of course, the medical supply is an issue at some places, food distribution, I get it, so not a big surprise. Then the question is, next, what would you expect if they locked down a city with 26 million people? For me, it would be chaos. And, I mean, Shanghai is huge. When I was there for the first time, I realized Shanghai is immense. I remember that I had an interview for a job, actually, and from my place where I stayed with a friend, to, I mean that was in the very west, to Pudong, to a uh, actually plant of this company. It took me three hours, early in the morning. So the interview was scheduled for 9 a.m. in the morning, I left at 6 and arrived just in time. And there was actually not even like any horrible traffic jam or any congestion. I just took the public transport, sort of the fastest way possible but I crossed nearly the entire city and I arrived just in time. I took the subway, I took even a ferry to cross the river, I, I, I used the bicycle, I used several means of transportation. But it gave me an impression of how large the city is. But at the same time, Shanghai always seemed like a very well-organized and structured city to me, despite its size. It's not comparable with many other places that I saw especially in Asia, which seemed really like chaos. That's not Shanghai. But of course, a lockdown with 26 million people is nothing that you do on a daily basis and that you can really prepare for. So when I heard that, gotta be honest, I was like, oh boy, that's really gonna be a mess and probably has a lot of impacts. Though China has actually proven again how they can deal with very, difficult situations, how they can manage huge logistical challenges. Because actually what I know from people I've talked to who are in Shanghai, they said that they are right. Of of course, it really depends from case to case. Some people might not do so fine. But overall, it was organized in the typical neighborhood community way that you have these, you know, cluster of compounds who are organized together. People do group buying. So that means they can buy huge bulks they, they purchase a lot of groceries and then they can distribute it and um, so from from the supply perspective it went quite okay of course some people have to be more thrifty and I have to think about well what can I eat today what should I maybe save up for tomorrow so it's not an easy situation but comparable smooth from what I am told but of course there are a lot of single incidents. Where you have problems. Of course, it is a constant pressure for people. Of course, it means that some people are going to be very dissatisfied. And of course, there are some outrages. But what I see on media are only these kind of things. You see, you see people who are complaining. You see people who are scolded by some authorities. You hear about suicides. You hear about animals who are killed, about parents that are separated from their kids. So it's only, really only about these negative things. Which makes me think, why? Why don't you focus in the first place where everything went quite well? Or actually even now, why never mention this one? And there are a lot of things that went quite well. For example, they have these closed circles where they kept... the the port open, where people managed to still run the factories. Because if Shanghai was completely shut down, I mean, economically, we would feel it immediately. Believe me, in a lot of ways, they applied their typical pragmatism. And that can mean that people, for example, stayed at their workplace. They might live there. Some companies, they provide infrastructure. Infrastructure can mean as much as a sleeping bag in the office. And a lot of people are willing to deal with that because they know, well, first of all, there's, there are not so many other chances, right? Um, it's not like they force you to do that, but if you don't, then you know that maybe your company is in trouble. And of course, you want to keep things as normal as possible and be sure that nobody is really suffering in the long term. So a lot of people are accepting this. That's sometimes also a bit neglected, a lot of people say, "Yeah, we know it's hard I'm not saying it's a it's a swim in the ocean, but well, we comply with with what the um authorities demand, and we know that this is an ending thing. it's not going to track on forever and also, if you look at the whole supply chain, how it's managed, Shanghai was able to test an entire city within. A few hours i mean you can force people to get tested but that's not enough right it's more than that so the whole logistics here was i mean absolutely stunning and also the it they use how they come up with this and this is never really mentioned right so for me the positive context is a little bit missing here right surely one reason is that shanghai is one of the cities in shanghai with most foreigners and of course these foreigners or at least those who are left actually now it's pretty empty but there are still some foreigners of course they report these kind of things so so the first thing they do is putting out their phones and filming everything outside that is possible and yeah basically submitting it to whoever cares and so what we see, of course, are a lot of not only from foreigners, but also from, from Chinese who record some of the content. And then you see a lot of, um, yeah, of course, negative consequence of this. I think that's absolutely normal. And also something that everyone can understand that we have people who are absolutely frustrated, who are in not necessarily a shock, but who are really desperate and who are they're like, I got nothing to lose anymore. But this is not the majority. Of course there are no real numbers if you if you say, okay, who is in trouble, who is satisfied, who's not. But overall, certainly ninety five plus percent is not at least in a dangerous situation in Shanghai. Or in a situation where they are close to the absolute frustration. But the impression that you get in the West is exactly this. So that's the pictures they show. I have to admit, I don't follow too much Western um, standard media anymore, like at least uh, television, uh, newspapers, of course. Um, so uh, I don't see all these pictures on a daily basis. But from my friends, of course, I, I get what I, what I need to see. And I think it's a, yeah, it's, it's a bit one-sided again. And it's, it's kind of a pity that people get these um, really bad impression. So I suppose that all this leads to a, an additional reputational damage for China. Mostly, I think it's really about losing faith for China more than it's actually needed. But of course, there's also this narrative that now China is becoming, well, a victim of its own success because earlier they were actually managing all the covid outbreaks so well and now it's really kind of a back throw and that's somehow true yeah for sure so that sometimes if you're too success from the beginning then it's kind of your curse that you uh lose later or at least um have some losses not necessarily the big loser and that's, that's certainly, that's certainly true, but it's not really a evidence that the whole system is insufficient or ineffective. It's just a different way of approaching it. Of course, I see it also from an economic perspective. I think China's biggest problem is the economic growth this year. That's what many people don't see because they just, they just think, oh, now, People are really fed up and now they go on the streets and protest. No, people will not do that because of the lockdown. The problem is, or could be, if China will really stuck in an economic trap. So, they actually announced just recently the target for this year of a GDP growth of 5.5%. At this time, that sounded still feasible, But with this lockdown now, and you might have heard it's dragging on, it's not over yet. They might loosen some of the restrictions, but then you have the next city, for example, Guangzhou might be the next big lockdown in China. So this will definitely cost GDP. And the problem is that if China has a lot of loss in economic growth, then the society is really suffering they're not so much suffering from a lockdown that is temporary because it's going to be over at one point. People know that life is slowly turning to normal and then it goes on. But if they have a lot of economic consequences, negative ones, then that's where it's getting serious. Because what many people totally don't know, they always think that China is a state of suppression. People are forced to do whatever they should do. People are suppressed and have to follow everything. Not really. In China, you have a sort of invisible contract. And the contract is like this. People, at least right now, trust their government. They comply. They support the government. And the government, in return, makes sure that people are a bit wealthier every single day. And that worked very, very well for the last decades. Chinese, not only the rich, but nearly everyone, are becoming richer. Their wealth, their income are all appreciating. In other words, living conditions are better. So there's no need to complain. People say, I don't care how you at the end do politics as long as me and my family are having a good life and I can see a brighter tomorrow than the day yesterday was. Logically, the system does not work if it turns out the other way, if suddenly people see a huge depreciation in their wealth, in their living conditions. And so the only big threat to stability is actually an economic decline. So there is no real figure. I mean, some people I remember like years ago, they said, oh, China needs to grow at least, at least 10% every year. Otherwise, they're going to be a huge instability. Well, we had 6%, 8% growth and stuff before nothing happened. So you can't really say that 5 or 4% are going to be the crucial marks. But of course, if it's too low, then we have a problem. And each lockdown, will definitely cost some form of economic growth. And if they're too frequent, then you have some mid-to-long-term impact as well. And then it's going to be difficult to just catch up within a few weeks again. So this is the big question that China has to answer. How are we going to deal with our... They say they will stick to the zero-COVID policy and yes, they might they might do that. But the question is, can they do some adjustments? Because I think it is necessary and there are no other ways. Because otherwise, they really fall behind. Because the rest of the world is opening up. I said I'm in Thailand. And Thailand is very conservative in this way too. But even here, you see that things are slowly returning to normal. In China, you don't see any signs of that. So this is, I think, very interesting to watch and observe how China is dealing with this situation and how they actually plan to return to a more normal world again because at the end they have to. Otherwise, they put everything at risk that they built up within the last years china is too smart the chinese leaders are much too smart to do that so i'm really curious what's gonna happening some say the shanghai lockdown might be the peak already and afterwards it's becoming less hard to tell to be honest really hard to tell because i also never expected that a lockdown like this will still take place and it happened so yeah let's let's see i'm very curious about that yeah, of course, this whole background is quite, um, negative. Um, uh, but I think it's important to talk about that. So this is why towards the end of the episode, I want to give you some impressions of my time in Shanghai. All of my stays were quite short, but the good thing is. When you stay at some place for a very short time, then you often actually do and see more than if you stay longer. I guess a lot of you can actually subscribe to that because sometimes you go to a place and you got plenty of time and you're like, Oh, yeah, I can do this next week. I still got next month. And then towards the end, you're like, Oh, damn. And I didn't see anything. I didn't do that. But for me, Shanghai was usually just like two weeks and I did a lot. Like every day I went out. I, I had a rough plan. What I, what I do. Um My first impression of Shanghai, that's something that I will never forget, was really leaving the airport and getting on this MacLev train, this transfer pit train, which was bought from Germany, which was a yeah German technology, but which we, for whatever reason, <coughs> and there are a lot of explanations for that, which I don't want to mention here, but we don't use this technology anymore, even though it's one of the most efficient and fastest technologies for transportation and so i was leaving the airport with more than 400 kilometers per hour towards the city and then you're in shanghai and you realize already what makes the city so special and that is that it's really an absolute mix of modern city and traditional city so there are a lot of places where you see how china developed and there are people who who told me they've been here 20 years ago there was like nothing there was no skyline then you you see in shanghai the the bond and everything this like impressive skyscrapers towers buildings light shows but you still see temples you see all the traditional chinese buildings especially in the older quarters you also have like older villages which are either in the city or nearby which you can visit where you see actually how the former Shanghai looked like with uh, old water streets uh, where you can have good food as well where you can take some boats Uh, we have some markets and uh, where you see the old Shanghai also when you walk around I was located in a more local area and then you still see all these like nice noodle shops you see at nighttime, you see people going out, having their barbecue, drinking beer. You still see how the culture is preserved at many sites. You see people going out, doing their exercise in the park, mainly older people, to be fair. But you also have this, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of sites where you feel like China is such a rich culture. But then next door, you see a lot of new shops or places as well. For example, what many people don't know is that. Shanghai has more coffee shops than any other city in the world. You would probably think it's New York or London, Paris, I don't know. No, it's Shanghai. And coffee is not a traditional part of the Chinese culture. But it shows that the city is developing in different areas and that you have actually Not just this clash, but this combination. They're running simultaneously and it works quite well. People are fascinated by these things, but they still like to, you know, also preserve their own culture and values. So for me, Shanghai was a very interesting place, a very special experience, and I look very forward to go back. Don't know when, actually. Right now, it's obviously very difficult. I mean, China in general, but Shanghai in particular... And until I can return to China, I will, of course, seize other opportunities. And this leads me to my next destination, which I can now announce. So, mid of May, I'm going to fly south from Bangkok. I will go to Malaysia. In particular, I will go to Borneo, to the city of Kota Kinabalu, where I have been two times already which is uh, one of my favorite places, um, not only because I have two very good friends there, but also because it's a really pleasant city with nice people, with a very pleasant atmosphere, with good food, and with this more, let's say, a bit more diverse culture, because the culture there is not so homogenous. You have, of course, the Malay culture But then you also have a lot of influence from China, from India, from other countries. So for me, it's always fascinating to go to such a country, which is even more diverse than other parts of Southeast Asia. And I look very, very forward um, to go there. And of course, I will also tell you a bit about my life there in one of the next episodes once I'm there. Until then, I hope that uh, yeah you enjoyed this episode. You could learn something from that. And with that... Thanks for listening, and see you in my next episode.
1: Thanks for listening to the Dragonfolio China Podcast. As you've kept listening until now, I assume you enjoyed the show and would appreciate a five-star rating on your podcast app, which allows other folks to learn about this important topic as well. For more fascinating insights into China and for easy ways to benefit, make sure to visit the website at dragonfolio.net.